Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So guys, I am so excited to be back for season 15 of the Girls' Night Podcast, and we're kicking off this season with a really wonderful episode. We're talking about why it's so important to celebrate the big things and the little things in our lives and how to practically do that. I love this episode because I always find myself craving delight and whimsy and celebration and popsicles more in the summer than any other time of the year. But this episode is actually so much deeper than just having more parties. Something I learned in this episode is that joy is one of the most vulnerable things we can ever feel. It's way less vulnerable to feel disappointment or to imagine worst case scenarios and to rehearse bad things happening. It's like if you're preparing for the worst, it won't hurt so much if it happens. Whereas if you really open your arms and your heart to something good and embrace it, then if it gets taken away, you feel like you're gonna be crushed, even more so because you didn't see it coming. It's like naming a puppy you're not sure you're gonna get to keep. It just feels easier not to name it. But actually, it doesn't work this way. And I'm so excited for you to get to hear why. Our guest walking us through this incredible topic is my friend, Nicole Zazowski. Nicole is a marriage and family therapist, as well as an author. And she recently wrote a book called, What If It's Wonderful? An invitation to release your fears, choose joy, and find the courage to celebrate. Friends, if you'd like to feel more joy and contentment in your life, that's all of us, right? This episode is for you. I can't wait to dive in. But before we do, I have a resource I wanted to make sure to share with you. It's my newest prayer journal called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. I actually wrote this book as my husband Carl and I were going through IVF, and so this book is so close to my heart. It's for women who are in the thick of it, written by a woman who was, and in so many ways still is, totally in the thick of it. I love this journal because it's a powerful, practical way for us to connect with God in times when our future feels really uncertain. Through guided prayer prompts, The Between Places will help you trust God with the trickiest, most uncertain, and most important parts of your life. It'll help you believe more fully than ever that God is good, that He loves you, and that He's taking care of you. It'll help you live today with more contentment, step into the future with more courage and faith, and rest in God's peace knowing that He's with you every step of the way. To order a copy of your own, just head to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com, and that link will also be in our show notes. Okay, you guys ready? Let's hop into the episode with Nicole. All right, friends, I am so excited for who you get to hear from today. I'm sitting here with my friend, Nicole Zasowski. And Nicole, you've been on the show before, but I loved our conversation so much. I just knew we had to have you back. So thanks so much for coming back on Girls' Night. I was so, so excited to be able to talk to you again. I'm not just saying this. It was truly a highlight a couple years ago of my first book launch season. So I was really excited to to get to connect Uh with you. Oh, that's so nice. I love that. And I told you this, but I was walking through Barnes & Noble a couple days ago, which is like not something we get to do as often as we used to, you no. know, just wandering through a bookstore. <laughs> um, yes. But I saw your book and I got to pick it up and hold it and feel it. And it just, it's beautiful. So Thank congratulations you. on your, it's your second book, right? Yes. Yes. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. Well, okay, for women who... uh, We'll make sure to link to your first episode in the show notes, but for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Yes, I am a marriage and family therapist. I have a practice in Greenwich, Connecticut, just outside New York City. And occasionally I get to do marriage intensives and speak on topics that intersect psychology and faith, um, do that with organizations and churches around the country. I am a mama of three. um, And that's, you know, I believe all kids are miracles. I just happen to have a story that reminds me of how much that's true. And I am married to my best friend. And uh, yeah, we live in a tiny little coastal town, uh, you wouldn't know New York City is is close by, um, but it's this weird juxtaposition of, you know, living very close to a, a large city and being in a quiet little sailing town. So it's fun. Totally ideal. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah, That's my so husband cool. works in Manhattan, so okay. he really enjoys 
getting the break and having a, a total t- change of pace um, just to train right away. So it's great. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, okay, what's your fun fact? Yes. So it's a little embarrassing, but it's the first one to come to mind. So <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. I uh, keep my bananas in the refrigerator because I don't like to look at the color yellow. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I need, okay. I need to know, do, do you like, do you not like yellow as a color in general or is it like particularly the banana shade of yellow or is it just in your kitchen? The banana shade is not my favorite. There's layers to this answer. The the banana shade is not my favorite. My house is just not a house that is very welcoming to yellow. So I don't, it like kind of, I feel like it kind of clashes with other things in the house. But I'm trying to think of what item I would choose yellow. It's not my best color to wear. So even like clothing items, it's not what I would reach for. Yeah, it's just not my favorite color. That is, are there any other colors that fit in this category? Not a big fan of red or orange. Yeah, I'm very neutral. Yeah. So if if you must use color, <laughs> use blue. But, mm-hmm. um, and like I mentioned, we live in this very coastal area. So it just sort of lends itself to that. But it, yes, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way about red though. I, okay. I have not hidden fruits. Um, as a result of that, but I well, respect it. I very much respect too. it. That's so amazing. That's so amazing. I do absolutely have weird stuff. Like, you know, I don't like looking at this or, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm that way about red. I just, okay. other than like lipstick and like, mm-hmm. I did have a red car at one point. Okay. Those are like my red things. I will do yellow, but I think it's, I don't know, something about the blonde hair. I, I can wear yellow. Yes. Uh, but yeah, my house really neutral. So okay. Okay, yeah, I would think you would look good in yellow. Ah, well, with good. that blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so fun. I love that. I if if anyone else has Your like confession. a weird color thing, yes, I love it. If anyone else has a weird color thing, I need to know. Um, so like send us a message or something so that uh, <laughs> Nicole knows that. Yeah, so Nicole knows she's not alone. Okay, I'm I'm so glad we get to talk today. Um, I so you have a new book. And it's called What If It's Wonderful? And it's an invitation to release your fears, choose joy, and find the courage to celebrate. And I love this because as I started hearing about this like topic, at first it's like celebration, like, okay, celebration should feel kind of easy, right? Like it, it's, I, I think a lot of us, in, at least in our heads would gravitate towards more positive emotions or like more enjoyable emotions. I know I do, like I would way rather celebrate than be sad or scared. Sure. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, I think we are really scared to celebrate and, and to celebrate is actually like a really bold, vulnerable thing. And so I'm, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because I think that everyone is gonna go, oh my gosh, like I, I just think that it's gonna hit the hit all of us in a way that we maybe don't even expect from the from the get-go. Yeah. So tell us, I you know, I know that when we write a book or start a podcast or, you know, do something like this, it generally is because we've had to learn this thing the hard way. Mm-hmm. So how what does that look like for you? Like how did you how did this topic become so important to you? Yeah, the this book is no exception to that. Some people see confetti on the cover and they assume that I just had a lot to say about joy and celebration and was an expert in those things. And hopefully I have more to say than I did before um, on this topic, but it was absolutely a book that is was born out of a season that could largely be characterized by loss and change. And when you go through a loss, there's the loss itself, whether that's a betrayal or the literal loss of a loved one or just a season that looked really differently than you hoped it would. Um, There's the thing itself and then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to our sense of identity and or our sense of safety. And what took me a really long time to realize was that for me, part of the cost of my own painful season 
was that when we did start stepping into a season with more good news and more breakthrough in our story, my joy was accompanied by a lot of fear. And I started to protect myself by uh, preparing for the worst case scenario, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I thought that celebration always came with a catch. I rehearsed disaster. I practiced disappointment. And I was so grieved when I realized that, yeah, some of the loss I'd experienced is tangible loss. But a lot of the loss I had experienced was because of my refusal to fully engage the very good life that was right in front of me. And I thought, I don't want to miss out on my beautiful God-given life because I am so busy preparing for the worst. And so that set me into a deep dive in scripture and a deep dive in neuroscience research and looking at the way that God created our brain and in the ways that were shaped uh, neurologically by experiences and to really understand what does it look like to practice celebration and joy in a healthy way. I love Love that. I'm like writing down notes because there's so many things I want to ask you. So, uh, you know, I think that our answers are each really different, but I want to hear you just kind of call some of them out because I think, again, this is kind of a thing that I think we all do, but maybe we don't, I don't know, like we wouldn't know to identify it in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why do we, what are some reasons, some common reasons that people hesitate to celebrate? This was so interesting because I was writing this book and, and starting to think about it during the pandemic. So <laughs> I had this opportunity to have this conversation um, with so many people, not only clients, but people in my personal life. And it seemed like there were, like you said, this is not an exhaustive list, but but it seems like there were five reasons that seem to come up over and over again um, that point to our hesitancy around celebration. Uh, the first is kind of what I just described is fear. Most people don't realize that joy is actually the most vulnerable feeling we feel. Mm. Um, at first glance, like you mentioned earlier, it seems like we would gravitate toward those more pleasant emotional experiences and pursue them with reckless abandon. But it was so interesting to be reminded that joy is actually vulnerable. It's scary. And it's because we find it easier not to hold something or safer not to hold something than to hold something that might break. So we protect ourselves by disengaging from that joy a bit. The second reason is we are waiting for a reason to celebrate. We think, well, I'm perfectly willing. I just don't have a reason to celebrate. And that's because we've so, as a culture, narrowed our definition of celebration to be a reaction to good news or a reward for an accomplishment. But as I learned, and as maybe we'll talk about later, rather than a reward or a reaction, although celebration does include those two things. Celebration is much more often a rhythm that we practice that's available to all of us in all kinds of seasons that helps us cultivate joy in the life that we already have. Uh, the third is, you know, obviously we're in community and we might be walking through a totally different kind of season than somebody else in our community. And rather than knowing how to fully rejoice with those who rejoice and fully mourn with those who mourn at the same time, we tend to see those differences and disengage um, and get very quiet in our celebration. The fourth is we understand celebration to be self-aggrandizing. And there's a plot twist on this one that maybe we can talk about, but um, we assume that celebration is bragging or draws attention to ourselves, and we're not sure how to reconcile our value of humility with this invitation to celebrate. And then the fifth uh, was certainly true for me. You know, I had a totally different relationship with God in the dark. Um, in, in my season of pain, I drew close to him and 
was really reintroduced to his character in a totally different way than I had known him before. And that relationship was really precious to me. As hard as that season was, I loved the intimacy that I had with Christ in that season. And I loved what I learned about him. And I was sad having grown up in the church my whole life as I entered this different kind of more joyful season, I didn't have a context for what it looked like to engage with God deeply in my joy. Mm. What does it look like to interact with Him? And I was afraid that that intimacy would go away. It's as if I pictured Him, you know, really close and walking me over uneven ground. And then as soon as we got to ground that was soft underfoot, Him saying, okay, have fun. You let me know when you need me again. And we need him just as much in our joy, but a lot of us are confused as to what that actually looks like. I feel like I can relate to every single one of those Mm -hmm. in different ways. And especially, uh, you know, the one that I think feels most painful to think about is the being afraid to hold on to something good because you're afraid that you'll lose it. And Mm -hmm. like, I think um, when we've gone through something really hard. It feels like the worst has happened. You know, like we, it's, I think there are a couple of things that happen. One, I know that I've gotten to experience, I've spent a lot of time like rehearsing disasters. Mm -hmm. You know, I, anxiety is totally something that I struggle with. And so there've been a lot of times in life where I'll like almost try to prepare for the pain by feeling it in advance. (laughs) But one thing that I, I've gotten to see is that a lot of times the worst case scenario doesn't happen. Like the the thing that we envision in our heads, the thing the thing that I'm really afraid of, some things that I'm afraid of have happened. Some things have happened that I didn't even see coming, that I didn't even know to be afraid of, like, I don't know, a pandemic. And then there are things that, like a lot of the things that I've been afraid of haven't happened. And then the other thing that I've kind of noticed is that when I'm rehearsing things, I don't necessarily see the whole picture. So I'm not imagining the fact that other good things will also be happening at the same time or that in my pain, I'll have people around me who really love me, who support me, that like God will be there really closely with me in my in my pain or in my fear. I don't see that full picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like kind of one half of the coin of, of fear. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that there are also times though when bad things do happen. Yeah. And so we're afraid of them happening again. So like mm-hmm. if you have lost a relationship, you have lost a pregnancy, you have mm-hmm. lost um, someone you love, like well, that was so hard that you're afraid to like hold on to hope because you're afraid that you'll lose something else. Mm-hmm. Does any of that like, I don't know, that's just kind of a giant pile of thoughts, but I want to know like what you found, because I know you found some really interesting things when it comes to, like what's happening in our in our brains yeah. um, when it comes to like rehearsing worst case scenarios, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just to respond to, to what you shared, one, one interesting thing I found in the research is because this is such a common tendency to um, prepare for the worst case scenario and wait for the other shoe to drop, is the research says that even if, and that's a big if, capital I, capital F, even if that should actually be be true, that should actually happen, we are no more emotionally prepared. Like it doesn't lessen the pain if that does happen by preparing for it in advance. What we do protect ourselves from is a lot of delight um, in that season leading up to the thing that we fear. You know, a lot of people say that the worst of our fear is in the anticipation. Um, and and I think that speaks to what you were saying. We, we don't have eyes for, or even an imagination for how God is going to provide in that season should the worst happen. We don't have an imagination for uh, the ways that we will grow um, on the far side of that. And so everything you said made perfect sense. And yes, there are some other dynamics going on in the brain that mean that left on neutral, our brain leans negative. Uh, One of these is called the hedonic treadmill. And it basically means that your brain rapidly adapts to joy. 
So maybe you receive news or a gift that you thought would make you want for nothing else. (laughs) And there is that initial moment of thrill and then slowly that joy fades into the background and your brain adapts to that. And we know that there are spiritual and emotional reasons for, you know, chasing the thing that, that it, um, but, but there's also a neuroscientific reason that, that that thing does not satisfy. Um, the second is our brains are just stickier with painful information. And most of us have heard something along those lines, but what this means practically for us is because your brain is so efficient, it only wants to pick up what it thinks it's going to need, which tend to be large and painful things. So all those little moments of connection with your loved ones, maybe noticing beauty and nature, just a a random conversation with a stranger in a coffee shop that brought you joy, you know, whatever it is, these moments of delight that we encounter all the time, they're not things your brain thinks are important. So it will dismiss and discard those moments. And the third thing I found so interesting, although I talk about many more things in in my book, but just to mention it here, we have this awful habit as, as human beings of telling our joy how it can be improved upon. So I always give this example of giving a presentation. Say um, you give a speech or you you share uh, your testimony and you're in front of this group of people and you feel really good about what you're saying, your content. You can tell you're connecting with the audience. Maybe you even get a few compliments on your way back to your seat when you're finished and you sit down and you feel so good. And then you start thinking, oh, would have been better if I told that story. Or they said I was a good speaker. They didn't say I was a great speaker. You know, we start telling our joy what would have made it better. Um, And so these are just a few dynamics in the brain that mean that all we have to do to feel disappointed and despair is nothing. And so it takes intentional practices to retrain our brain and, and create new neural pathways toward hopefulness, toward delight, and, and joy. Tell me, talk to me about neuropathways because I know a tiny bit about them, but I feel like the more I learn about them, the more it's just really helpful. Like I, I can mm-hmm. see like, oh, this is how this is working in my life. And this is how it would be better if I could pay attention to this a little bit more. So talk to us yeah. about, give us like a quick neuropathway rundown. Sure. If you can. I, will, I will speak in layman's terms because even I am not an expert in terms of the, the super scientific um, terminology, but, but essentially the brain goes where it knows. So what it is most practiced in, those thought patterns, those ways of thinking that you practice most often that is like a well-worn path in your brain. So it's kind of like if I, if I stood with you at one end of the woods and there was a well-blazed trail, trail right in front of you. And then I gave you an ax and I said, you can either take that well-trodden <laughs> path or you can blaze your own trail. That's a little bit of what it feels like in your brain when it feels an emotion. And whatever behavior is most practiced, usually it's a reaction that's understandable, but not very helpful (laughs) to try and protect you from that feeling or defend against that feeling. That is usually the most well-worn path. And so while that um, is discouraging news as a starting point, the hopeful part is, Every time you do something different, every time you take that feeling and you say, okay, I do have a choice here. I am going to practice this instead. It's like blazing a new trail. And then the next time you're standing at the edge of that woods, that trail is a little bit more well-worn. And then the more you practice it, soon your brain sees that as just as viable an option as this other behavior that is not so helpful. And maybe 
over time, there's some brush that grows over that other path because you have taken this this path that was once uh, less traveled. And so just knowing that the brain knows where, or goes where it knows um, is motivation for me to start introducing my brain to a new way of doing things. Um, There's probably my least favorite fact about the brain um, is that feelings often follow actions. It's usually not the other way around. Sometimes we have those unicorn moments where we feel like doing something and we're so aware of the truth and then we act on that truth and it's, you know, exactly what we felt like doing in that moment. Most of the time, there's this unfortunate reality of, I have to do what I know and trust is the healthy thing and trust that my feelings will eventually follow. Um, but there's a discipline component to that that unfortunately is is hard, but that's that's the way your brain works. Hey friends, I wanted to take a quick pause from my conversation with Nicole to thank our sponsor for today. Our sponsor for today's episode is an amazing company called Pros. Now, many of you will have heard me sing the praises of Pros, the world's most personalized hair care. But for those who haven't, I wanted to tell you about the incredible results I'm seeing since using my customized Pros products. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their hair quiz, and that's how the process started for me. The quiz was so much fun. It felt like one of those magazine quizzes I used to love. It was easy, but also in depth. They asked me so many questions that I wouldn't have thought to answer, like how much does your hair shed? Or is your hair oily at the ends or just near your scalp? So I did the hair quiz and I placed my order and just a few days later, the package showed up on my doorstep. I have a pre-shampoo mask, shampoo and conditioner. I've been using the products for a while now and it's made such a difference. My hair feels silky soft and looks even shinier. And the other thing I really like is that you can continuously customize your formula. They'll help you tweak things depending on your lifestyle changes or even changes in the weather. Pros is also focused on providing clean and responsible products. Every product is free of parabens, sulfates, phthalates, mineral oils, GMOs, and is always cruelty-free. Also, if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. But I have a feeling that won't be an issue for you. Friends, Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. You can take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Just go to pros.com slash girlsnight. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash girlsnight for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Pros, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls Night. We just love having you. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, that is so interesting. The, <laughs> the thing I've been thinking about as you're talking about those paths are, and I've talked about this in, in like different times, but for most of my life, for the first, I don't know, two decades of my life, longer than that. I feel like I my internal monologue was really, really negative and really, really mm-hmm. critical. Um, like I absolutely was my own worst critic. And yeah. I just, my thoughts about myself, my thoughts towards myself were just constant and, mm-hmm. and really critical. Wow. And I really... One, it's hard to do anything in life when you're your own worst critic. Like sure. it's like going on a date while having like an earbud in your ear with someone being like, Yeah, that was dumb, or like you look terrible, or you chose yeah. that outfit, or like mm-hmm. he's bored. He doesn't want to be here. Or so, you know, something like that. Like that would be it's really hard to have a conversation when that's happening in your head. I can um, imagine. But I I really worked really hard for a long time to start thinking new thoughts. And um, it really started when I started wondering what like God actually says about me versus what I say about me. Or I started paying attention to like, what is it that I think about myself? Because I just had never really examined my thoughts about myself. Yeah. Um, and I, so I did. And, and I looked at what those were versus what God says and, and was like, okay, so I can either trust myself or, and you know, random things that people have said to me, you know, throughout the years or conclusions I've come to that may or may not be true, or I can trust God and like practice believing the things that he says are true and practice being kind to myself. And it's crazy because, you know, it took a lot of intentional time of like pausing, listening to my thoughts and like correcting them. But now and for the last really like, I don't know, seven or eight years longer, Mm -hmm. I like unconsciously, or subconsciously think really kind things to myself. Like my my inner voice is 
really encouraging and affirming and wow. um, gentle. And uh, just, I'm a, I'm a way better friend to myself. And oh, it, it took a really long time for that to happen, but it is crazy that I'll, I'll notice a thought where it's like, hey, you worked really hard today. Let's go like, you know what? Let's go take a shower or let's go, <laughs> let's go get a snack. Or I think, I think it's time to go take a nap. Or I, I just, I, I hear the things happening in my brain are just a lot kinder than they used to yeah. be. And it really makes a huge difference. And, and so I can, I can like, as you're describing these paths, I can see the one that was so well-worn. I just immediately went to negative thoughts towards myself or about myself. And that like, it took a lot of hacking away in the woods, but but now there's a lot of brush over that's yeah. like grown up on that old path. And the new path is pretty well-worn. And the, the more I walk down it, the easier it is to find it. Well, that makes me so happy. I really, I really like that. Yeah. Well, so I think that what, celebration can feel like a really frivolous thing, <laughs> especially when so much is going on in our world. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there's constantly so much going on, but just every day, it's like, how can there, how can, how can anything else happen? But then it does. Mm-hmm. Um how is celeb- why is celebration important and why is it not like silly or um i don't know like escapism you know i'm just going to yeah. bury my head in the sand of good things and like it, it it feels irresponsible almost yeah no i think celebration has been very misbranded as either a little bit like dessert like nice to have but not essential to our emotional and spiritual growth and if we take it a, a step further, it could even be considered to be escapism um, in some people's minds. The difference between celebration and escapism is not so much found in the behavior itself with a few obvious exceptions. Uh, but often I can look at somebody engaging in a certain activity and and not even know, is that celebration or is that escapism? A much more helpful question um, diagnostically is, what am I looking for by pursuing this behavior? Because escapism is a reaction to pain that seeks to disengage from our emotional experience and our relationship with God and other people. Celebration is a discipline, it's an action, it's a practice based on truth that actually helps us engage more deeply with our emotional experience and with God and other people. Um, There's a a deeply connecting relational component to it. And so this is a practice that actually helps us cultivate more joy and connection in our lives and not something that is either you know, like, yeah, kind of nice to have, but but doesn't really do much or or worse, destructive like escapism is. Can you give me some examples? Of celebration? Yeah, or like celebration versus like, the, if you said that it could be the same action, but it could have two different like purposes behind it. Yeah, going, taking a nap, um, which is not something that we might, immediately think of as celebration. But I know that when I take a nap and I'm in a healthy place, what I'm celebrating, I actually wrote a post on this not too long ago because I was in such a burnout, exhausted place. And I was, uh, this was about a year ago, actually. I was like at the tail end of my edits for this book. And I just texted my agent, who's a good friend, and, you know, <laughs> said something desperate to her, like, <laughs> um, I am so, so exhausted. And she just replied, how can you celebrate today? And what celebration looked for me in that moment, I realized was celebrating that this is not all on me, that I am not alone, that God is going to do with this book what he's going to do beyond my efforts, that he is working through and and beyond my work. And so acknowledging and celebrating that truth meant for me letting go and going to sleep and allowing my body to rest. Hmm. Conversely, sometimes, usually when we're escaping 
we're assuming, it's based on an assumption that there is absolutely nothing I can do. And so I am just going to go to sleep to turn down the volume on my emotions and just hit the pause button. It doesn't grow me. It doesn't further my emotional processing. It doesn't heal uh, relationships. It, it, I wake up in the very same place um, that I fell asleep. Not, not physically, of course, um, but, but emotionally and, and relationally. It's, it's checking out of mm-hmm. my emotional experience and in my relationship processing. And so that would be an example of same behavior, looking for two very different things. Yeah. One of them's to hide and the other one yep. is like taking care of yourself and yeah, and You'll recognizing that yeah, you don't keep the world turning and thank God mm-hmm. you don't. And yeah. Um, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Well, so I, I wouldn't have thought of, of taking a nap as a form of celebration mm-hmm. What are, and you said that celebration's sort of been like poorly branded. So yeah. what, like, how would you define celebration? If it's not, mm-hmm. because I love how you said earlier, it's not a reward. It's not a reaction. Yeah. It's not a reaction. Um, and then there was one more, wasn't there? Well, I think we wait for a reason um, to celebrate, which is often either a reaction to good news or a reward or, for an accomplishment. Okay. Yeah. Um, and instead, I would define it as a rhythm that we practice that helps us experience and cultivate more joy in the life we already have. Oh, I love that. Yes. So what are some ways that we like, because yeah, again, I wouldn't have thought of taking a nap as one yeah. of those things. Yeah, we tend to think of it as merely a party or, you know, the way that we would, the first image that comes to mind around celebration is usually some sort of festivity. And I don't want to diminish that. Um, I just don't want our definition to be limited to that. So that is a valuable part of celebration. I am very thankful for the friends in my life that are gifted in party planning and hospitality and make that a part of their celebration. I think though that when we limit it to that experience, we're missing out on the everyday practices um, that are accessible and doable and simple and are available to us in seasons where we don't feel like rejoicing. Mm -hmm. And so my favorite practice that I think is is a really good on-ramp if you are just kind of diving into the practice of celebration is a practice called savoring. And what's wonderful about savoring is savoring celebrates the ordinary. So all those dynamics in the brain that we talked about earlier, savoring is our counter practice to to carving a new neural pathway and cultivating something new. And the way that you do this is you just take one snapshot from your day. I love to practice it in the moment as it's happening um, because it, it makes me more aware as I'm living that moment. Some people prefer it as a reflective exercise at the end of their day. I don't think it matters, whatever you prefer, but you take one tiny, tiny snapshot. I mean, for me, sometimes it's the way the sun hits my son's blonde hair as he plays in the backyard or Mm -hmm. the weight of my daughter on my chest uh, when I'm rocking her to sleep. You know, just tiny moments. And you just ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about that moment. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? And what do you feel? And that celebrates that moment in a way that you can carry it forward and recall it later. It secures that moment in your brain. Um, instead of your brain allowing your brain to dismiss or discard it. And so the more we celebrate, the more we notice the sunlight on his hair or the yeah. feeling of her weight on your chest, like the more mm-hmm. we we recognize those things, the more likely we are to continue to do that. 
Yeah, I think it it's very related to that old adage that you find what you look for. And I give a bit of a metaphor on this in the book. Sea glass is a is a through line in the book um, because it's a practice that my family started at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, what started as a way of getting some energy out um, in the only spaces and places that were open in Connecticut. It has become our family's favorite way of disconnecting from our responsibilities and connecting with each other. And as I look back and we keep them in jars and you wouldn't believe, I mean, thousands of pieces. I wish I could show you right now. But as I look back on those jars in that large collection, I see the way that God has woven friendship and community and laughter into our family in a season that none of us would have written had had we been given the pen mm-hmm. um, this way. And I see God's faithfulness to us in, in this season. And so now when we look for sea glass, uh, we find it more, more easily and we find more pieces than we did when we first started because our eyes are trained. And so that's the metaphor that I have for celebration. This practice of celebration helps you see joy and experience joy more deeply in the life that you already have. It's not about waiting for something to change. In fact, sometimes it's simply a practice that helps you remember a God who doesn't change. Hmm. I may have shared this on the show before, but shortly after college, I I did a trip for a year where I backpacked to a bunch of countries around the world and did um, volunteer work. And it was a wonderful experience, but Mm -hmm. it was also a pretty uncomfortable experience because (laughs) I gave up like everything, like by a mattress. I gave up a towel that wasn't a tiny little quick dry towel. I gave up uh, showers. I gave, I mean, all kinds of things that I really took for granted. And I had this moment where I caught myself, I, you know, I was like halfway through the trip and I think I was in Uganda at that point. Mm. And, and I just loved Uganda. Um, mm. We had such a good experience there and such a wonderful family that we lived with. And, um, but I caught myself like daydreaming about home yeah. and like what I couldn't wait to do when I got home. And mm. I'm glad that I kind of caught this moment in my head because I was like, wait a minute, I have been dreaming about doing a trip like this for my whole life. This is something that very few people get to do. And I'm actually doing this right now. Mm. And like, I'm going to waste it by mentally not being here. I'm going to like mentally re uh, like relocate myself to what coffee drink at home I'm missing. Um, And so at the time I actually ended up, I was reading uh, Ann Voskamp's A Thousand Gifts. Oh, great. Yeah. And her, I mean, the whole premise is that she just wrote down a thousand things she was grateful for one by one. And so I kind of took that challenge and I got this little notebook and just started writing down things I was grateful for. And it was, I'd write the same thing down like a bunch of times, you know, if it was something I experienced every day or it was the little things, it was huge things. It was like everything from like 10 extra minutes to sleep in the morning to like, you know, powdered coffee because we didn't have like normal coffee there for a while or um, I was grateful for that, Um, you know, or to like God's grace or my family, or, you know, it's like big things, tiny things. And it really was this super practical way of staying in the moment and really seeing the good things in the moment. And and it taught me so much about, like, I, I just, I had this sense as I was doing it that if I continued to look forward, if I continued to be like, okay, well, when I get home, I'm so excited about this. Well, then I'd get home and then I would be kind of dissatisfied with where my feet were at home and yeah. I'd be looking on to the next thing. And I just mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to miss my life if I do this this yeah. way. Um, and so I, I love that, like that was the first time really in the most practical, mm-hmm. tiny bit by tiny bit, like intentional practice I've ever I've ever done of being really grateful for the really specific small things that were happening in my actual life right now. And it yeah. made such a difference. I just, the joy I felt was so, like I just was consumed with gratitude constantly and I was showering out of a bucket. And right. like, those two were like, I just never would have thought that I could feel that way mm-hmm. while missing out on so many things that like a nice shower is a, is a great thing that I normally really For celebrate. Sure. 
But it really, I mean, it just, I, I was constantly looking for things to be grateful for and I was finding mm-hmm. them, you know? I love that. And uh, you bring up another practice that I, I think is worth mentioning, uh, the practice of Thanksgiving. And what you said is absolutely true. Gratitude does increase our joy. And what I found so interesting was that Thanksgiving, actually expressing that gratitude either to God in our prayers or to another person, if that's applicable, um, that doubles the joy that we would glean from gratitude. So if you're really thankful, or or I should say grateful for a friend in your life, um, that will increase your joy for sure to notice and name that. And if you sit down with them or write them a note and say, here's the difference that you make in my life. And I just want you to know how I've grown and changed because of your presence. And here are all the things I appreciate about you um, and how you make my life better. That doubles the joy that we would have experienced if we had just felt that in our heart. Um, which is still significant for sure. But I, I just, I had always used Thanksgiving and gratitude interchangeably. And it was so fun to think about if I feel this, where's the opportunity to share it um, and express that either again to God in my prayers. I think going back to what I said earlier about how do we engage with God deeply in the light of our joy? I think Thanksgiving is the practice we've been given to celebrate that gift with the giver. Um, or to another person. Uh, And hopefully it increases their joy hearing it as well. So it's not just that it like, you're you're spreading the joy by telling your friend how much they mean to you. It like doubles it in, is is that like a neuroscience thing? Yes, yes, it must be. Um, in In the studies that I looked at, it was shown that Thanksgiving actually expressing that And again, I'd always use those terms interchangeably. Um, But actually expressing the gratitude we feel in our heart doubles the joy for us, uh, regardless of what the experience is like for the other person. That is so wild. That is so wild. It made it kind of fun to think, well, where's the invitation to share it? Um, And and I've, I've certainly experienced the increase in joy when I've been able to do that. That's so cool. I think, you know, a lot of times it's really easy to feel like if this thing was different in my life, then I would, mm-hmm. I'd feel more joy. I'd be, um, my life would be better if it was a little bit more like this. And, and you know, yeah. we all are going through different hard things. Like we're collectively going through so many hard things. Um, but then individually, we all have really hard parts of our stories. And there are things that can be changed and that can grow and that, you know, can like, there are some, there's some truth to, you know, this is a really, really hard thing. Yeah. And when this is over, that'll be great. <laughs> or like, yes, for sure. Um, like, let's get, let's get through this. But yeah, there's something really beautiful to knowing that we can increase our joy without any of our circumstances changing by just mm-hmm. noticing the good things that are happening and like taking the time to celebrate them. But then mm-hmm. also that you can like supercharge it <laughs> yeah. by, by like not only recognizing the thing you're grateful for, but then like, saying it, expressing it, that is like just a really cool, untapped thing. Yes. That's how I felt when I, when I read that. And, you know, also acknowledging that Thanksgiving doesn't mean that you are ignoring or diminishing the pain. I, I think toxic positivity expects joy to cancel pain or ignore it. And, and joy is just able to trust God's goodness and promises in the midst of pain. Um, and so don't be afraid that expressing thanksgiving is somehow abandoning <laughs> that you're very real hurt. Um, but but it does it, it doesn't extinguish it, but it does change it when we're able to practice that. I'm glad that you brought that up because, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but it is hard to celebrate when things are really hard. Like not only do we not, I mean, it's hard to celebrate when you have a heavy heart, Mm -hmm. Um, but also it's hard to, it's hard to, I don't know. I found out I was pregnant like in March of 2020. That's a weird, that's a weird moment to celebrate. Or like, 
you know, finding out that you, you know, getting engaged when your best friend just gets, mm-hmm. you know, her heart broken or something. It's mm-hmm. sometimes it's more of a, our our joy doesn't match up with sure the rest of our lives or our joy doesn't match up with the people around us mm-hmm. or it doesn't match up with kind of a cultural moment as a whole. How yeah. do we celebrate without being um, insensitive? Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the question of how do we celebrate when we can't rejoice? Because if I'm saying celebration is a practice that's available to us in all kinds of seasons, I also have to acknowledge not all kinds of seasons feel very good. And they're really hard sometimes. Life is not always wonderful. (laughs) Um, And what was really helpful to me on that question is one of the things I did was really look at the feasts and festivals outlined in the Old Testament. And these were celebrated for different reasons um, and in different ways. There were different traditions around each one, but one through line was that they were celebrated in rhythm. The Israelites didn't celebrate when it was convenient or because they had a good enough reason to do so. They celebrated because it was time. And that that rhythmic quality was about remembering God's goodness and not making it a reward for their own. And like I said earlier, sometimes we do get to celebrate our circumstances changing and we absolutely should. It's beautiful when that happens. And often celebration looks like remembering um, as it did for the Israelites, remembering a God who is good and, and does not change. The invitation to uh, celebrate with those who are experiencing joy, I think is a particularly tough one, especially if that dream steps on the toes of our own. Um, you know, that person is celebrating a dream or a breakthrough that we would love to have for ourselves. And I I hear Paul's command to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but I really wanted to understand what that looked like practically. And one uh, story that was really helpful to me was is found in Deuteronomy 3. And it's when Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness. He's been doing this for years. (laughs) And the scripture says they are so close to the promised land that when Moses goes up on this mountain to talk to God, he can actually see it in the distance. And of course, we know that while he's been their leader this whole time, he's disobeyed God earlier in that journey and is told he's not going to be the one to enter the promised land. He's not going to get to lead God's people in. And I love his honesty in this moment up on this mountain talking to God. He begs God one more time, can I please be the one? And God gives an emphatic no and says, this is the end of the conversation. But what I'm really challenged by is what he says next. He says, I want you to commission Joshua. Essentially, I want you to pour courage and prepare Joshua for the dream that you would love to have for yourself. And so (laughs) that really kicked my tail because I think if we're honest and, and we can all probably think of a time where we have either privately heard about someone's joy and found a way to accept their joy. And usually this looks like some sort of comparison, like, well, they have that, but I have this. Like we sort of posture as a way to feel okay and accept their joy. But what this story showed me is that truly rejoicing with those who rejoice and celebrating other people, there's an active component to that. Um, Either pouring courage into them with, with verbal encouragement or actively preparing them for that journey. Maybe it's making a connection that would really help further that dream for them or physically helping them prepare, committing to pray for them on a regular basis, whatever it is. And you know what I found? This goes back to the feelings following actions. When I have gotten my hands dirty and actually actively celebrated somebody, my feelings follow. All of the sudden, I don't have this scarcity mentality that somehow their joy takes away from mine. 
I have more eyes to see um, God's provision in my own life and, and more of an expanded imagination for what he might be doing for both of us um, and, and freely celebrate my, my friend. I love that so much. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of touched on this at the beginning, but I, I love that you said, like, studies show that rehearsing um, or pra- like practicing disappointment, rehearsing bad things happening, like that's, it doesn't prepare you. And I, I just need that reminder a lot. Like, I can't lessen my future pain by trying to feel some of it now. Yes. So that's one thing. That. But like, when you've lost something already mm-hmm. and you're given something similar, yeah, it's really hard to not be afraid that you're going to lose mm-hmm. it again. And so like, how do we, you know, and this could be a relationship, you know, like we said, this could yeah. be a, a pregnancy, this could be a job. Like, you know, if you've been fired from your dream job before and you get another one, like how do you not go to work every day mm-hmm. worrying that it's going to happen again? Yeah, hypervigilant for signs of that same thing. Yeah, I've walked through this dynamic in lots of different kinds of stories with clients and and people in my personal life. And then personally, uh, my husband and I have had five miscarriages and we have a diagnosis that actually means that when we get pregnant, I have a less than 50% chance of actually getting to meet that little one. And so that's my my best example or experience that I've had of that in my own life. And I say that just to share what you said is real. It's really hard to tolerate the hopefulness of a new opportunity or the joy of receiving that gift of a new job a new relationship when you've been burned so badly by life's pain. Um, you know, I think of Elizabeth and, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, when they received news that they were going to be parents of John the Baptist, you know, she receives that gift readily. She trusts God as her celebrator. And I just so, while she's my model, I just so relate to Zechariah who wants proof before he's willing to trust the promise um, because he's known so much pain. And I totally get that. And just a an encouragement to someone who finds themselves in that boat right now. You know, sometimes I've been asked, do you think I need to demonstrate a certain level of hope or a certain level of trust before God is willing to intervene in my circumstances? And I love the honesty of that question because I think... Maybe some of us say that out loud, but I think a lot of us have at least thought that at some point. And I just want, the truth I want to press into your palms is that God's faithfulness is not dependent on your faith. Um, that, that his goodness is not a function of your goodness. There's simply so much joy available when we are able to take him at his word and trust his good gifts. And so the research is clear that to answer your question, the best practice for tolerating that vulnerability of joy, whether it's a pregnancy or a new job opportunity or a new relationship, whatever that might be, even a a whole season that feels better than, than life has been before. I know a lot of people are like, this feels too good to be true when they're in that place. The best practice is the practice of thanksgiving. That helps you tolerate the vulnerability of joy. Um, and I'm not, I can't really tell you why that that's the practice that, that seems to keep us in the ring, um, in that vulnerable place of joy, but that seems to be the practice that's most helpful. Tolerating the vulnerability of joy is mm-hmm. like a phrase I never, I never would have put those words together in the same sentence. Yeah. But it is <laughs> Me neither so at first. real. Yeah. It is so real. Yeah. And I love that. Thanksgiving. It's mm-hmm. okay. Like that is that's your go-to. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's <laughs> we we can do that. Yes. We can do that. I'm so grateful for your work and mm-hmm. for your vulnerability and for your story. And I just I love what you do and I love that you're teaching us how to 
practically celebrate our, our lives today. Mm-hmm. No matter what, you know, no matter what our circumstances look like, that there is not only something to celebrate, but there's value in the celebration. Yeah. And so really, thank you. Would you, uh, um, I totally did not prep you for this, so I hope this is okay. Uh-huh. But would you uh, pray for us? Absolutely. I'd, it'd be my honor. God, thank you that like David, who went wild with celebration, dancing exuberantly, thank you that that same celebration is available to us because we recognize that we have been a recipient of grace. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to receive your celebration of us um, as your precious creation, as, as your cherished children. Certainly, it requires courage to look at the extent of uh, our weakness and where we fall short and our brokenness. Uh, but most of us underestimate the courage required to stare into the expanse of our belovedness. And I just pray that you would invite us to do that and stand with us in that place. And that as we receive your celebration of us, that we would follow through on on your invitation to celebrate each other from that same place, that, that your celebration of us would be an outpouring and that we would celebrate uh, each other Um, each other's joys and that we we would sit with each other in both our sorrow and our celebration. And I pray for every woman listening uh, that she would know that you rejoice over her today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You're so welcome. You guys, isn't Nicole amazing? I just love this conversation and I am so glad I got to share it with you. Don't forget that if you ever want to find the links for anything we talked about in our Girls' Night episodes, you can always find those over in our show notes. Just head over to girlsnightpodcast.com and you'll find links for everything, including links for Nicole, so you can pick up her book and follow along with all the great stuff she's doing. All right, friends, that's it for today's episode, but we have so much good stuff ahead this season. And with that in mind, now is the perfect time to make sure you're subscribed. Subscribing to the show is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It won't send you an email or anything. It'll just make sure your phone downloads the latest episode when a new one's released. And I did want to take a quick second to ask you a favor. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've been a Girls' Night fan for a while now, would you take just two quick seconds to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? Those reviews help out our podcast so much and it really would mean the world to me. So if you take two quick seconds to do that, I'd be so grateful. All right, friends. Thank you so much for joining me for Girls' Night and I'll see you next week.